0: We all know that we've been physically born. We all know this because we're here. We have documentation and we have physical proof. But what proof do you have that you were born again? Well, we're going to be discussing this topic and more as we go further in the First Peter. This is BibleStudyPodcast.org. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to BibleStudyPodcast.org. I'm your host, John Krause, and today is Friday, May thirteenth, two 2011. And if you want, go ahead and flip open your Bibles, if you have your Bible, and turn to 1 Peter. Secondly, I would like to say thank you for those of you who brought to my attention that my podcasts were at a lower volume. I did update Episode 2 to a louder version. I didn't know how that was going to affect people with downloading, but I went ahead and updated that version I don't talk lower. I just would export my podcast lower because I have a tendency to talk louder. So I was sounded like I was shouting at the normal volume that I keep my podcasts at. So it sounded like I was yelling. So I had a tendency to to keep them lower. But I fixed that. I'm gonna have them loud like Toby's are, so that those of you who listen to things, you know, and I forget about this, those of you around the world who listen on phones and rooms with people in it, that really wouldn't work out if I record these and I export them really low. So I'm going to keep that in mind. I thank, thank all of you for your uh, input there and reminding me and, and telling me about that because I wouldn't have known. And secondly, thank you for downloading this podcast. I'm glad you guys are with me. This is episode three of the study of First Peter. So welcome back. I'm glad you're here. Uh, we have a ton of information to cover today, so let's go ahead and get started with a quick word of prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for this time together today. Lord, we ask that you be with us as we study your word. We ask for your wisdom to flow through us so that we may gain a better understanding of your word. Lord, we recognize that your word is the truth. We lift up this time of study, reflection, and prayer to you. In the name of Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen. Okay, we're going to be looking at 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 3-5 through 5 today. Let me go ahead and read for you. Blessed be the God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to his great mercy has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to obtain an inheritance which is imperishable, undefiled, and will not fade away, reserved in heaven for you, who are protected by the power of God through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. Now, the first part of this letter, namely verses 3-12, through 12, is about our great salvation. Some people have referred to this section of this letter as the great doxology. Peter does a beautiful job of reminding us of hope, our joy, and the witness of our salvation. The obvious reason for Peter telling people who already know about this truth is to remind them of how greatly God has blessed us and blessed them, that even in times of trial we are blessed and should have hope in what God has given us. Blessed be God was a frequent expression of praise in synagogue worship but Peter follows the Christian tradition and specifically identifying God as the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. And by doing this, Peter is being very specific about who he is talking about, namely the God they had all come to know through their relationship with Jesus Christ. Peter further identifies God as the one who, according to his great mercy, has given us new birth. Now mercy, or in the Greek, elios, is the outward manifestation of pity and assumes the need on the part of those who are recipients or in need of the mercy. And the mercy is given by those with the means or resources by which to show it. So the people that are dispersed here are the recipients of this letter. And we can also incorporate all of fallen mankind are in need of mercy. And the only one who has the resources adequate to meet the needs of all of us fallen people is God himself. The use of the word mercy here is probably reflecting the Old Testament concept of hesed, a Hebrew word meaning loving kindness or a covenant faithfulness between two people. Just like Israel's relationship with God, in spite of Israel's constant disobedience to the covenant, God remained faithful and loving toward Israel when he would have been justified in destroying her. Exodus 34.6 tells us God revealed himself to Moses as a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger, and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, in Ephesians two chapter four, God is rich in mercy, Titus chapter three, verse five, God saved us, but not because of our own deeds, but in the virtue of his own mercy and in romans three three Paul asks if human unfaithfulness would ever nullify the faithfulness of God, and his answer was a resounding no, so the idea of mercy is to show kindness or concern for someone in serious need, or to give help to the wretched and relieve the miserable. So here in verse 3, the essential thought here is that mercy gives attention to those in misery. The specific expression of God's mercy that Peter celebrates here is the fact that God has given us a new birth. The Greek text literally describes God as the one who birthed us again. Peter has a total change of life and a new way of living in mind when he speaks here about this new birth. This mercy that God gave us is in the form of this new birth to a living hope. We would be born anew because of Jesus Christ's resurrection. That's in verse 3. Living hope naturally follows a new birth. If a Christian has been born again, they are spiritually alive. This new birth will flow from that. John chapter 3, verse 3, Jesus says that unless one is born anew, he cannot see the kingdom of God. The hope that we as Christians have is living it's abiding an act of hope. This is hope that doesn't end. and one of my favorite verses in first Peter, this one I've had memorized, is first Peter chapter three verse 15. and many of you probably already know this because you're into apologetics, you're going to know this verse. but in your hearts, revere Christ as Lord. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give a reason for the hope that you have but do this with gentleness and respect. So the first phrase of verse 3 sets our goal that we should follow in our lives. Our goal in life is to worship God, to see God's great reality with our minds and feel God's beauty and wonder with our hearts and speak and sing God's greatness with our mouths. And that's what Peter's doing here when he wrote this. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. That's what he's doing there. There's the goal for us to follow day in and day out, every day for the rest of our lives. Alright, we're going to talk about the new birth. The Greek word, anagenesis, that is often translated as regeneration, describes what happens at conception. Sometimes the word is translated as born again, but really means being re-begotten. We could be born anew because of Jesus' resurrection. Jesus' resurrection from the dead allows Christians to have a living hope Or be born again. It describes the Christian who experienced spiritual regeneration and in John 3 3 like we said before Jesus replied very truly I tell you no one can see the kingdom of God unless they are born again. Remember that Peter was writing to groups of scattered Christians both Jews and Gentiles which was a very strange mix of people in that day. They were all going through different levels of persecutions and basically living in what was a pagan world but through God's great mercy And as it says in verse 3, they had been born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Now verse 3 stresses that this mercy causes us to be born again. And, And this is not a temporary good feeling or change like you get from a movie or motivational speech. This being born again is a permanent spiritual event in which you are dead to sin. That sin no longer is acceptable to you. That you can't even let yourself get away with the so called smaller sins, they bother you. Your sin bothers you. You don't ask Jesus to be your Lord and Savior one day and then the next continue to live that vile, sinful life without any thought, without any repentance. That's not the way it works. God has been exceedingly merciful to us in giving us this blessing of salvation, should we treat it as though it is not eternally precious? Now, Hebrews chapter 6, verses 4 through 6, tell us. And Pastor Steve Cole makes a good point when he says this. We live in a culture which has taken some biblical words and used them in a way that redefines and cheapens them so that they no longer mean what the Bible means. But then they seep back into the vocabulary of Christians with their devalued meaning. Take the term born again. The media uses it to describe anyone who makes a comeback or gets a fresh start in life. A baseball team that has been in the cellar and suddenly starts winning is called the Born Again Dodgers. Chrysler, under Lee Iacocca, was Born Again Corporation. And so it is not surprising when over 50% of Americans say that they are Born Again Christians. They mean that they have had some sort of religious or emotional experience that resulted in a fresh start in life. It may have involved praying or inviting Jesus Christ into their hearts. But in most cases, they have no idea what the Bible means. By being born again. Now what the pastor is saying there has to do with false conversions. This really horrible thing that had been spread around like just to to try to win people to Christ, which might have ultimately had good intentions behind it, but it really ended up teaching something very, very bad that all you had to do is pray a prayer one time and that you were saved, that you basically didn't have to do anything else. So and, and Paul Washer, you need to you know Google him. He speaks on this all the time. Hearing the truth is not enough. Praying a prayer one time is not enough. Getting that momentary God fix is not enough. People must fully commit to Christ in complete repentance and faith. Because if they don't, they are in effect re-crucifying Christ and they treat him contemptuously. Those that sin against Christ this way have no hope of restoration or forgiveness because they are actively rejecting Christ. They are rejecting Christ with full knowledge of who He is and what has been done for us. In 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 2, Peter says that we are chosen unto obedience and sprinkling with the blood of Jesus Christ. The word obedience stands alone grammatically and refers to the initial acceptance of the gospel. In 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 8 and 3, verse 1, Peter refers to unbelievers as those who are disobedient to the word. And in chapter 4 verse 17 of 1st Peter, he refers to the unbelievers as those who do not obey the gospel of God. And in Romans chapter 1 verse 5, Paul describes the goal of his own mission as to bring about the obedience of faith among the Gentiles. And in Romans 16 verse 26, Paul says that the preaching of the gospel leads to obedience of faith. And in 2 Thessalonians chapter 1, verse 8, Paul says that when Jesus Christ returns, he will deal out retribution to those who do not know God and to those who do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus. And in John chapter 3, verse 36, the same connection between belief and obedience is made. It says, He who believes in the Son has eternal life, but he who does not obey the son shall not see life but the wrath of God abides on him okay now after all this piling on here all this information that I've just I just dumped on you you may be asking is he is he telling me that Christians don't sin is trying is he trying to feed me some nonsense that Christians don't sin of course not. I bet you have not heard of a habitual disobedient believer before. Someone that you've seen habitually sin and completely reject Christ and say they're a Christian and you go, yeah, I believe he's a Christian. That doesn't happen. If a person claims to be saved but lives a, in a chronic disobedience to God and a disregard for his word, that person is deceived. In First Corinthians chapter 6, verse 9 and 10, it says, "...or do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God?" Do not be deceived. Neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who practice homosexuality, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor revelers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. And in Galatians 6, it says, And in Galatians 6, verse 7, it says, Do not be deceived. God cannot be mocked. A man reaps what he sows. A faith that is true and genuine is marked by the purification of the inner self and obedience to God's truth. Fruit and obedience are products of a true conversion and a life committed to glorifying Christ. All sin should bother us. It should never not bother you if you are truly converted. It should be completely incompatible with who you are. All of this is possible because of what Christ did on the cross and His resurrection. We are born to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. The resurrection is a crucial part of Christianity. If Christ has not been resurrected, we are still in our sin. And in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 17, it says, And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile, and you are still in your sins. You see, Christians have been born anew to an imperishable, undefiled inheritance. The idea, then, that is, this inheritance is eternal salvation, but it will only be available to those of true faith and obedience. 1st Corinthians chapter 6 verse 9 tells us do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God and then we got Ephesians chapter 5 verse 5 telling us those who are impure have no inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and of God Peter further defines the hope as inheritance which is imperishable and undefiled and will not fade away the description of hope as an inheritance also arises from the language of a new birth that is in chapter 3 here in 1 Peter. When a person is born into a family, he or she becomes an heir to whatever inheritance there is. The Greek expression born again or given new birth can also be translated as born from above or given a heavenly birth. Being born into a family of God means that we become heirs of the inheritance God has provided for his family. You can see uh, Romans chapter 8 verses 14 through 17 there. The inheritance is then described as imperishable And undefiled and will not fade away. This is like nothing that we know on earth. Everything that we have, all material, all matter, perishes. It it can all be destroyed, and it will all fade away. What the Lord has promised us is an eternal, unperishable prize. Here, is unlike anything that we can fathom. Now, verse five declares that by faith and through God's power, the readers are being protected for salvation. The word "protected" is a military word describing a garrison defending a position or a fortress. Now, Peter wants to encourage these Christians who are suffering these, these persecutions and letting them know that God's power guards their spirits. The good news Peter wanted to share with his readers as they face this persecution was the promise that God would protect them. The inheritance that was being reserved for them, the readers were going to be protected, and this inheritance was going to be protected. God was at work to see that Those who trusted in him would endure and receive their inheritance. In this verse, salvation is seen in all its tenses past, present, and future. Christians have been born anew by the mercy of God, are being guarded by the power of God, and look forward to obtaining complete deliverance from all evil in the last time. As they trust in God, his power makes them strong. All Christians must continue to trust God until Jesus comes again. This is when they will receive their complete salvation, the inheritance that spoke about in verse 4. Peter and the other apostles saw Jesus go back to heaven in Acts chapter 1, verses 9 through 11. They heard the angels say that Jesus would return. They also heard Jesus teach about this in Matthew 16, verse 27. Now, no one knows when this is going to happen, so if you think this is going to be May 21st, 99.9%, you're going to be wrong. It's even higher than that. It's closer to exactly 100 because no one knows and said this said in the Bible that no one's going to know the date or time Christians should be ready they should live good lives as they wait for that important day and this is told by us in 1st Thessalonians chapter 4 verse 14 through chapter 5 verse 11 our salvation is not maintained by our personal power but by the power of God for I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ for it is the power of God to salvation For everyone who believes, for the Jew first and also the Greek. And that's Romans chapter 1 verse 16. This is an impregnable ring of defense God has set up for us. The enemy cannot possibly break through this kind of defense. God never changes his guard. He never lets his guard down. The Lord protects until we arrive in heaven. The same power that delivered us from the penalty of sin delivers us from the power of sin and ultimately from the presence of sin. Okay, so try to wrap things up here. I know we've been through a lot of information now. There are four points that Peter expresses to us here that we're going to go over. The first point, God's great mercy, which is spoke about in verse 1. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to his great mercy. The second one, God's work of new birth, which is in the second part of verse 1, who according to his great mercy has caused us to be born again to a living hope. The third point, God's work of raising Jesus from the dead that's the third part of verse 1. He caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. And the last one, God promised of an inheritance and God's work of keeping our inheritance. That's verses 4-5. through To obtain an inheritance which is imperishable and undefiled and will not fade away. God promises us an inheritance to all who believe in Him. God is our Father and God is our source of the inheritance. Just as fathers leave an inheritance to their children, God's doing the same for us. So I want to conclude by asking you two important questions. First, have you truly been born again? Not just in that American cliche sense that we talked about before, but has God's Spirit imparted a spiritual life to you? And you might ask, how do I know for sure? Well, do you obey God's truth? And this isn't about... Do you never sin? And I hope you got that from this lesson. It's not about never sinning, but is the desire or goal of your life to please the Savior who who loves you and gave His life for you. So you must put your trust in Jesus Christ as Savior and Lord as the primary matter in your life and be obedient to God's Word. Are you as loving as you should be? God's Word says that if we've been born again, we must work at having a sincere love, a clean love, and a fervent love, especially towards other Christians. So if you've received this new birth, you've got to work at this new love. Christians must love because they have been born again through God's imperishable word of truth. We must love because Jesus loved us first. He paid the ultimate sacrifice for us. He did the ultimate act of love for us so that we may spend eternity with him in heaven. And if you're spiritually dead, God can save you from that spiritual death. Have a living hope and faith in Christ. Come to know God. Trust in our God. Have hope and faith in Jesus Christ whose blood covers all sin. He doesn't care what you've done. He just wants you to come to him and accept him. And obey him, that is all you have to do. Let your life be a witness and proof to your conversion. Now let me leave you with Ephesians chapter two verses one through ten. I know this has gone long, but this I really like this and I think it kind of wraps up what we've done here. And you were dead in the trespasses and sin in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience with Him and seated us with Him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that in the coming ages He might show the immeasurable riches of His grace and kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and it is not of your own doing. It is a gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. For we are His workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them all right well that's all I have for you for episode three I know this has gone long but I hope it has blessed you it has really blessed me to do this one I really enjoyed this one let me take us out with a quick word of prayer heavenly father you have given us more than we deserve lord you are full of grace and you are full of mercy lord we thank you that you love us enough to care to save us Lord, we thank you for protecting our inheritance. Lord, we look forward to the day that we come home to you. Lord, we lift up this time of prayer and in study to you. And in Jesus Christ's name we pray, amen. All right, everyone. Well, I look forward to you all coming back and joining me for episode four. And Until next time, keep growing in your faith.
1: dreamt of you the other night What a beautiful empty sea But I've never felt such serenity If you beckon me I will come
2: in these so truthless times. God bless you. Thank you so much for listening today and keep growing closer to Jesus.
1: Such serenity.
3: If you beckon me, I will come.
1: I will come.
3: me to walk on the water with you
1: on you and help me be Sure of what I hope for Certain of what I do not see